What's up, everybody? It's Lo, your host, and almost everyone for the Vols ATB crew. We got Brando and Drew, but Alex is not with us because he is studying or doing some shit that future doctors are going to have to do. So once again, he's missing out, but um, we respect him for what he's doing out here. So we're just going to dive in real quick. Um, wanted to thank everyone at last Friday at Skybox for coming out and hosting us for our first live show. Um, was definitely a blast, but kind of hectic with setup and stuff. So we're st we still haven't gotten that uploaded just because of all the audio that was going on. Um, so I think we're going to have it uploaded by tomorrow, specifically because I requested it to be the video version and not just the audio version. So you can blame me for that. Um, but I think it'll be up tomorrow. Um, Everyone's thoughts on last Friday. Oh man, what a blast. I mean, from walking in, you know, like two or three hours early, getting it set up and like barely getting a last moment and all the chaos, meeting the whole crew for the first time. I feel like we all like instantly clicked. It was cool to meet everybody for the first time. And then seeing people like Stone Cold and Haley who came out all the way from like South Carolina and East Tennessee just to watch the show. And honestly, like I thought maybe we're just going to be talking to people that had no care in the world for the show, but we had a good like 30, 40, 50 people in there at one time. And then the vibes after were like immaculate. Appreciate Juice for coming out, being a total vibe the whole night. Uh, that was crazy in itself. I know my mom loved it being a true VFL. Uh, obviously, huge success, kind of crazy. But, you know, next time we do another live show, it's probably going to be a better setup. But had a freaking blast, man. It was, it was great. And, you know, eight days away from kickoff. Uh, I'm super, super excited and weekly shows. Let's go. Yeah, no, I mean, that was, uh, that was one hell of a time for sure. Um, you know, it was really cool meeting Juice for the very first time. Really just chill out, you know, laid back guy. Really cool dude. Appreciate Skybox Bar and Grill for allowing us to have this type of event. I mean, it wound up being a pretty good turnout. Uh, very chaotic there, like halfway through. I think we kind of lost the plot a little bit, uh, you know, especially when, you know, much as I'm a big fan of Juice, I mean, he starts selling his cigars halfway through the Alabama game. But we appreciate that, though. you got to appreciate the hustle, of course. I respect that. Um, but, yeah, no, I'm very thankful for everyone that came out. Hopefully, we can be able to do another event like this sometime soon. And hopefully uh, hopefully Brando can settle down on those uh, vodka sprites as well. Oh, that'd my be, God. That would be a good chance. So. All right. Hear me <laughs> out. Hear me out. I'm going to cut uh, Juice some slack. Yo, those wings that killed me and Juice, I'm not going to say it was the everything else because Juice, Juice got paid. Everything else, though, those wings, man, I cannot breathe, live. It was it was off of like 15, 20 minutes. I think I finally got together for like the Georgia game late in the year. Fucking crazy. But uh, obviously, man, crazy, crazy, crazy. The vodka sprites, true. Chill. It was only a few. But yeah, that, that tab was fucking crazy. But other than that, man, I'm hyped, man. We had a freaking blast. And, you know, I kind of, you know, look back, you know, with all the, the punishment coming up, I predicted us to have a 10 and 2 season. And just like, <laughs> I'm not trying to be like Drew and be negative here, but you know, it's more likely to, you know, not go 10 and 10. So I'm just, I, I'm already waiting for that blow up. Though, but other than that. I know the punishment choice is so funny, but yeah. And again, big shout out to Juice for coming. I mean, hell of, hell of a show. I loved it because we all just, everything was so random. And that's what makes in-person live so fun is because we already have had so much random shit happen on here with power outages and you almost being impaled by an umbrella and everything else. Bad. And 
continues on into the in-person show where everyone's in there watching and they're like, oh, what the hell? Here's wings and cigars. And we're just like, all right, let's just roll Hype with videos it. videos and fucking. Yeah. Hype videos. And, and, and Yeah. True balls experience. Good time. Absolutely. Definitely a good time. Um, if you guys have noticed what's scrolling across the screen, Skybox is our first official sponsor for the podcast. Um, so we are doing this now. If you are interested in being a sponsor, please shoot us a DM. Um, pretty reasonable packages. We're just getting started and trying to reach out into the community. And yeah. So anything else about Skybox before we... Ooh, I wanted to do this on here because I couldn't do it at the live show because he was kind of like scared. Huge shout out to the man, the myth, the legend, Hunter Bedore. He showed up at our, our live show, uh, president of Spire Sports, obviously on the huge NIL front, had to bounce, but, you know, made sure to have a huge, huge talk with us, you know, kind of make us all feel loved as a brand. Huge shout out to Spire and that group over there, but also, you know, had to go bounce to go hang out with Triple J. So hopefully next time during our like pregame show, we get the Spire crew out there, that'd be lit, but that was pretty cool to see them take time out of their day to come show up for that. So I thought that was cool to take some pics with them. But other than that, just a W event. Yeah, that was uh, that was definitely one of my highlights was seeing Hunter there. I had to tell him personally that I appreciate him doing the uh, the Lord's work on bringing us back to the promised land. So it's really cool <laughs> seeing someone like that, you know, from our NIL collected and like meeting them in person. It's really cool. Absolutely. And on top of that, um, you know, he even took the time to take pictures with us, sit, sit around and meet with us, chat with all of us. I thought that was super dope. I mean, that is a very busy man. So I felt very fortunate to get to meet him for the first time. I thought that was very cool. So shout out to him and Spire for that. Um, all right. Moving into a quick little thing. I know some people are already wanting. I see some comments on the Twitter about uh, Carnell. We'll get to that here in a oh minute. <laughs> um. But first of all, Hendon Hooker saying that Heupel is the best coach in America. And I know that a lot of people say that, oh, he has to say that. No, the hell he doesn't. He does not have to freaking say that. There's not like a requirement where he has to get up there. And when they ask about your coach, you say, oh, he's the greatest coach in America. You could be like, oh, I love Coach Heupel. You don't have to say he's the greatest coach. Why? So I personally, I just think it's a good thing. I think that it shows that. He respects Coach Obvi I mean, we don't know he's the best coach in America until he proves it. I mean, look at Saban. But I'm just thinking in general, it's nice to have a positive outlook like that and have your guy, the leader on your team, out here saying things like that about your head coach. Oh, yeah. I mean, especially with just, you know, obviously eight days away till kickoff, playing Ball State on Thursday, next Thursday, you know, a week from tomorrow. But I think that's huge. And then also seeing like the whole buying of the offense and having like this team prepare, you know, last year, the last few years going into a season, the energy was kind of like, you know, hit or miss, kind of not knowing what to expect, who's going to roll out there. But now you have your guy, you got your guy, your coach, your guy as a quarterback, and you have that relationship there. And I think you kind of understand, like have that feeling that everything's going to be all right if you go out there with that combo. And I think, you know, obviously we're going to be opening up on the field, but Hypo in the off season in general, getting these guys not only you know physically prepared but mentally prepared and you know getting bought in of understanding that not about stats you know going out there and trying to win games and go out there and, and striving into the best position we can be so obviously just all in good things uh, to say that he's the best coach in america just shows the praise and the work he's doing not only on the on the football field front but you know the recruiting front going to the future so 
I mean, I, I'm going to take it for a grain of salt because you're always going to have players that are back in your head coach. I mean, you had, you had several that back Dooley, several that back Butch, and even even Mr. Cornbread, Jeremy Pruitt himself. I mean, you had players over there that, you know, said he was a great coach and defense genius and all this nonsense. I think Heupel has the potential to be one of the best coaches in America. I mean, there's I, I think the potential is there, and I think, you know, the work ethic and the talent's there. But I'm not going to, like, say right now that he's the best coach in the mayor. He might be one of the top five best coaches in the SEC, I think he, maybe by the end of the year. But I think we just, you know, it's just – it's players praising their coaches. It's a very, you know, very common thing that every program does. So, yeah, that's nice of Hendon Hooker to say that about Heupel. But let's uh, let's win some big games first before we start saying you know, he's the best coach in America. Right. I mean, again, he definitely is going to have to prove it, which will take a lot. But I just I like having some positivity surrounding all the other stuff that happened this past week. So it's nice to, and refreshing to see our main guy come out praising Coach Heupel. Um, Do you want to wait? Do you want to people on Twitter right now are wanting to hear about Carnell? I don't care. What, what do you want to do, Drew? Want to just go out with it? Yeah, I mean, we might as well, you know. I guess since it's like the big thing trending right now, that kind of just broke out of nowhere. Let's go ahead and get it done. Uh, obviously, I kind of I, I tweeted out in the tweet. That's why everyone's kind of like antsy about it, saying the Carnell stuff. But um, you know what, what was thought to be dead, what was thought to be one of the biggest L's on the Tennessee recruiting front. You know, not only losing Carnell Tate, Brandon Algo, the domino effect, but when you look at that one big loss, Tennessee kind of sacrificing Tyler Casper early on. And then having, you know, putting it all on Carnell Tate just for him to pick his dream school of Ohio State. Um, everyone was shattered, you know, heart shattered. But it sounds like there's been some crazy dialogue between the two with uh, Tennessee and Carnell Tate with the coaching staff. Just in like the last two or three weeks, you know, the conversations haven't stopped. Um, you know, I, the kids dream schools Ohio State, man. But when it comes down to it, you're seeing guys like Jordan Matthews, the Baton Rouge native, you know, playing time and everything else comes over, you know, what's really at stake. And, you know, to have that dialogue, you know, it's been really good dialogue. I sent that crazy picture to Nico that he reposted on his Instagram, you know, just kind of teasing everything after hearing about it. And the man goes and puts it on his Instagram, blowing up all of all Twitter. Everyone's like freaking out. Oh, my God, is this going to be a thing? And, you know, I just think that this thing, it's, it's recruiting, man. We always talk about it, NIL, everything new with 2022, 2023. Yeah, it was the big L in recruiting, but I think this thing – fully has potential to go towards more to signing day. Um, just hearing like all the dialogue. And then you have the guy, one of the best in the business, Chad Simmons today coming out, kind of backing all that up that came out and like the expectations saying that, hey, don't count Tennessee out on this one. Um, he was a huge Tennessee lean to begin with before, you know, Ohio State came with that final offer, making that huge push. But as we say, man, if he's an early enrollee, this goes to December. If he waits, it goes to May. There's a long, long time for this staff to flip. And you have a new guy like Kelsey Pope, Josh Heifel, every single day have kept that relationship. Best friends with Miko, going to be competing at a lot of rivals events. Um, what everyone thought to be dead, I'm here to say that I, I truly think Tennessee is in a great spot to, you know, try to get some dialogue back with Carnell. We obviously have to see where it goes, but I would not be surprised if like Florida game or, you know, comes to you know, Alabama, whatever it is that Carnell Tate's on campus and is going to take another visit to Tennessee. And I think we have a real shot. I know a lot of people kind of, you know, don't want to get their hopes up or want to play, you know, devil's advocate, and, you know, say that we can't recruit or we're not going to land another guy. But when you look at, you know, the hits and misses and how Tennessee's formed this class, 
they have we didn't go out there and get someone like huge that we had to you know spend a lot of money on i think you know when you look you know how we talked about spire sports and a lot of other things tennessee can go out there and get some big fish in the end and it's going to go with guys they had relationships with and i think one of those guys that's truly close to that is cardinal tate and if tennessee can you know get a five-star receiver to go with you know the receiving core they're already using cameron Sullivan, nathan leacock you get that guy and the whole offensive class you know goes over what we are doing on defense right now which is absolutely crazy but the Cardinal tape buzz is real. Um, obviously, you have to see where it goes, but it's been going for a couple of weeks now. And, you know, just to see that in general and have that dialogue while you're committed to your dream school is is crazy in itself. I know it caught a lot of people off guard, Drew. Yeah, no, I know a lot of people are trying to downplay at the moment, but I thought that was honestly, Brando, a genius move by Nico to, like, actually share that photo because – I think it reminds Carnell and a lot of other prospects that are still undecided or even, you know, soft commits for the time being, like the love that like this, like this fan base has, and it shows how fired up and like, you know, people were about this still being a possibility. And I think Carnell's taken to effect that like, you know, given the circumstances of last year where we, you know, had over 25 players that left our, you know, left the team during the portal and just a brand new roster completely depleted and still averaging over 40 points a game. And then knowing that this year we're likely going to be averaging at least 42 and be a top five offense under, you know, year two, Josh Heupel, I think that has to excite him. And knowing the fact that, like, you know, arguably the best quarterback in the 2023 class, Nico, is going to be there as well, he has to be considering his second thoughts. And, you know, no no disrespect to Ohio State. Ohio State's an unbelievable program, and they probably will have the best offense in the country this year. But to know that you have someone that, like, that already closer relationship that Nico has with Carnell – I think it's still one of the reasons why this is still a possibility that he comes to Rocky Top. Yeah, I will add that um, Brandon Ennis, the guy he went to Ohio State with to do that back-to-back thing, he's kind of been talking to Miami as of late, which is kind of weird to be so committed and, you know, all that, and you're still talking to another school, and then you have Carnell talking to us. I, I really do think there's a really good chance, and I know it's, you know, kind of crazy to get people's hopes up like that, but the dialogue, you know, and going, you know, how far we have until signing day, I just think that, you know, the the playing time plus the relationships that are at stake. He's not only friends with Nico, but a majority of this class. But obviously it talks about, you know, what happens in eight days. Tennessee has to go out there with Ball State and lay the hammer down for the full season and have a crazy season where they go nine and three, at least eight and four, nine and three to hold this class together and show someone that we're moving in the right direction. If it's Cardinal Tate, Francis Malgoa, Lucas Simmons, like it doesn't matter. Like these these huge prospects, they want to see not only that we can help them with money while NIL, but that we're going to have a legit product on the field. And you go nine and three, you go 10 and two, you win 10 games with a bowl game or somehow get into a New Year's six bowl. That's what gets the attention of a guy like Carnot. That's what it's going to take to get this top 10 class or top 15 class to a top five, top three. And it, it, it takes a few guys, but I think you have that season. That's how it's going to happen. You can have these great talks. The relationships are there. There's a lot of kids that have relationships with school they don't go to, but if you put that on the field as well, improve it man like that that's how you get a guy to flip so absolutely and on top of that i mean like you said this is just how recruiting goes i mean with social media these days you have no idea what's up so it's important to just ride it out and (laughs) and wait and see i mean honestly because you truly just have no idea but i think we have word that we have a special surprise guest coming on now is that correct i We'll have to wait for them to come in first, but yeah, well, we will wait for them to come in. But um, yeah, we got a guest coming on here in a few minutes, so I'm trying to decide if we should. Because let's see, 
Carter underscore Vol asked us, what are our thoughts on the running back room right now? Do y'all want to dive into uh, that first? Yeah, I guess, I guess uh, as y'all heard the news with Lynn J.J. Peters, I mean, Lynn J. Dixon, that, you know, he was kind of dismissed from the program. Um, running back room, as Alex Golish came out with a quote, I kind of agree with Coach Golish here. Our running back room is the same it was 14 days ago when we started fall camp. Obviously, I don't think Lynn J. was a huge factor. Uh, we saw those highlight drills at practice, but when it came down to the scrimmages, it didn't sound like he was going to be even in the top four over these freshmen. So I don't see it as a big hit. Obviously, Lenith Whitehead down early. You have to rely on two huge freshmen. Marcus Pierce, a guy that played valuable snaps last year, transferred out. So we don't have that kind of veteran walk on, really. So I think, you know, obviously it's kind of scary. But as long as Dylan Sampson and Justin Williams Thomas can, you know, not hit that freshman wall when it gets to the season, it can keep on going and, you know, excel and get that, you know, production. I think you definitely have like two freshman running backs that have like a, a crazy impact year. But that's that has to happen on the field. I mean, you know, I think initially when you think about it, um, you know, just from what his success was at um, at Clemson, you would think this was lost. But considering that he was failing to adapt on learning this offense and was falling behind already in the simple drills that they were doing and the impressive looks that Dylan Sampson's had in the last couple of weeks, it's not really that big of a loss. And, you know, yes, we are back in the same situation that we are a month and a half ago. But I think it's a good reminder that, trust me, it could be a whole lot worse. We could be like Florida right now where two of their backup quarterbacks are potentially out for the season, and now they have either Anthony Richardson or a true freshman quarterback. So, you know, it's not the end of the world, and you're going to potentially see a couple guys within the roster, you know, maybe like a Princeton fan or, who knows, maybe a Jimmy Callaway will come in and get some potential reps. But it could be a lot worse. So there's no need to hit the panic button just yet. Yeah, that's kind of the, the rumored emergency plan is that having a guy like Princeton Fant that's going to be probably back there regardless of the pass blocking to have that kind of extra threat, kind of that Quaverius Crouch kind of vibe. Um, obviously, if you have that and keep people guessing on top of having a block and an extra protector, I think that also opens up a lot of big chunk plays that Tennessee's going to strive through with this offense anyway. So all in all, it should be uh, well if all does go to an emergency. But yeah, I think the news of it is just it's a loss, but it's not a, a huge loss in general at all. So, Absolutely. Um, I'm not worried. Like you guys said, we have plenty of depth there. Um, Lynn J, it was just random, but it is what it is. If he's going to cause problems in our locker room, then I don't want it. But yeah. we have our surprise guests coming on. So, Brando, you can go ahead and add him. Everyone who's watching, welcome Trey Wallace. <laughs> the man, the myth, the legend. The goat. What's up? How are y'all? What's happening, Trey? What's going on, babe? Man, just, uh, just grinding away, putting together some stories for the week. And it's been, uh, it's been a little crazy. We're getting closer to Week one, I call it. My colleague Glenn Gilbo likes to call it week zero, but whatever. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's 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 going to be a fun weekend, uh, Nebraska and uh, Northwestern and Ireland. And then if we everybody can keep their eyes open, maybe you'll get to watch Vanderbilt get beat by Hawaii. So we'll see what happens. And that's what I'm hoping for. That that beat down itself would probably make my week. Uh, you know, Trey. Obviously, week zero this weekend, really hyped for that. College football back officially eight days from Vols football. Um, obviously, social media kind of buzzing if it's good or bad right now. Everything Vols football related, kind of hard to 
keep up and everything, but you kind of being hard to stay out the news, doing your job, kind of breaking things down. Uh, Tennessee is still waiting on eligibility from wide receiver USC uh, transfer Brew McCoy. You know, obviously this could have been done a lot sooner than it was. If you go read Trey's article, um, you know, not a lot of cooperation from USC until things kind of got deep here with the NCAA hopping in. But Trey, tell us what's going on here, man. What's going to happen with Brew? Yeah, I, I think you're looking at a situation where, you know, Tennessee had started this process of, of getting Brew McCoy eligible pretty much right when he landed on campus. So that goes back a hot minute. You know, we're not just talking about three or four weeks ago. You know, we're talking about a player uh, that has been on campus now, I would say, four or five months. Um, and so you, you, you look at it and how it breaks down. Like, these transfers are interesting. Like, this is not like the quarterback from uh, West Virginia, Derek uh, Dugy, and where he can go to Bowling Green one year go to West Virginia for three years, go to Western Kentucky for spring practice, and then he's going to be the starting quarterback at Troy, most likely. You know, but Drew McCoy's situation, you know, he went to Texas that one year, then he goes you know, back to USC. So he spent a spring at Texas, went back to USC. And so that's where, like, the interesting situation lies. Now, I know a lot of people talk about, and I've made mention of this, that no opportunity participation for him. Um, and that is technically, you know, in USC's hands, meaning they can sign, they could sign that tomorrow if they wanted to. Now, here's the problem. And I've linked this inside of my article. Um, and I think a lot of people have, have, have seen the document. There are certain clauses on that document that, let's just say, could make it interesting for USC if they had to sign it. Pretty much they would they would say because a lot of people forget that you know Brew McCoy was pretty much suspended for most of the 21 season while he went through the process, um, uh, the legal process, the Title IX process, which by the way, everything was dropped. I mean, nothing came about it besides I think like a, a small settlement on the side, but you know, there were no charges or anything along those lines. So now you're in a situation where Tennessee had not, and I've talked to multiple people about this, not just at Tennessee, not just at USC, uh, people at the Southeastern Conference who had to, first off, sign off on Brew McCoy coming to Tennessee. Like, a lot of people forget that, too. Like, you have to have the conference sign off on a lot of these things as well. So, looking at where the situation is now, you know, I, I somewhat kind of see where USC is looking at this thing and like, okay, do I sign this piece of paper and say everything was good? Okay, that's up to the lawyers. Um, Tennessee's problem is with all of this is that USC have been dragging their feet when it comes to helping out, when it comes to eligibility, when it comes to, I don't know, getting paperwork sent over to the compliance department. Um, they were. I mean, and, and that's coming from multiple people. Um so now, now it gets a little tricky because Tennessee needs USC to cooperate with this waiver process. And I was told specifically <clears throat> after Friday night's whatever craziness, and then all of a sudden Saturday morning. So background on that real quick. 
I was kind of curious as, as to why USC hadn't signed something. So I, I, you know, I requested comment from the athletic department, the president, whatnot. And I sent that at like 1.30 in the morning. I was up working on something. I was like, oh, I might as well send this now, uh, whatever. They were probably a little surprised to see an email coming at 1.30 in the morning asking for comment. I didn't, like, I knew I wouldn't get it then, but I, I didn't think I would get actually a comment in general. Um, but I wanted their take. And so I was told that morning is when, you know, USC started, let's say, just getting maybe more involved uh, with the waiver process with, with Brew McCoy. Um, and then they released, and it was weird because they released a statement to us. And then Sunday night, which I'd never seen before in college football, I, I haven't. I've never seen an athletic department put out a statement talking about a former player who hasn't been on their campus since December of last year. So that's what threw me off. I was like, okay, you know, from a, just from a reporter side of it, I was like, that's a little weird. Like you don't see that often. And uh, you know, a lot of it has to do with them getting blown up from emails and, you know, Twitter mentions and whatnot. But, you know, as we sit here right now, uh, Brew McCoy is not eligible. Now, I think Brew McCoy will be eligible by the first game. That's just a hunch. I don't, you know, in talking with some folks, it feels like the NCAA kind of wants to get this thing over with and done. They would not like to drag it out. But you never know with the, the, the NCAA, and you never know with these waiver processes. And that's why, you know, I can't put a finger on, like, okay, he'll be back for Ball State or – He'll be ready to go by Pittsburgh, guys and girls. I just, I feel like right now they're in a situation where they've had to rely on USC and the NCAA to help out. And um, it's been slow up until this point. Trey, I wanted to ask you real quick. I know I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you in person, but it's fun to meet you virtually. Um, <laughs> so hearing you describe in depth this process, why is there not some sort of advocate or some sort of someone in a leadership position that forces these people to get it going? Like why is there not some sort of penalty or time period where it's required to get it done? And if not, do we think that that could be something in the future with the transfer portal being such a big deal these days? You know, I, I think that's a really good question. I, I think when, I think when college football gets like a full commissioner, and, and we all know who runs the NCAA now, but I think when they get somebody like a czar to run it, I, I think things might be a little bit different. I understand what you're talking about with the, the timeline, because here we are, you know, we're sitting there on a Wednesday night, Tennessee will kick off in a week. We'll just call it like it is. The Tennessee's kicking off in a week. Um, and the fact that they haven't gotten this situation handled, when, you know, when I see players – transfer like like the the quarterback that plays a troy now like that stands out to that's me ridiculous and the fact that he could go and nothing against the kid okay but the fact that he could technically be enrolled now in four schools in four and a half years and be ruled eligible immediately compared to brew mccoy who and there's other players out there, but but Brew McCoy, who okay went to Texas for spring ball, came back to USC, and I don't look. I'm not overlooking the the legal side of what went down 
in Los Angeles during his time there. But if we're looking at this straight as an NCAA situation that no charges were brought upon through McCoy during that time, I find it very – it's hard for me to fathom that it could take this long when a kid's been on campus for – I don't know. I mean, like I said, I think it's four months now, five months. And, you know, so the, the time frame of that low is what kind of makes me think, okay, man, we, we've got to have something where – just think about it this way. If they – when they open up these transfer portal windows that they're going to do here soon, that it, it's going to be in December to January, then they're going to have another one in March to whatever. I think it's June 3rd or whatnot. If that happens, think about the backlog it could it could mess up when it comes to players that are transferring into programs and trying to get eligible and all of the paperwork that goes into it. So that's where the problem lies in right now is that there's there's not a time frame. And, and Tennessee and any other school that this was happening at, they are sitting and waiting around to get an email from the NCAA to say, Brew McCoy's eligible getting ready for your starting lineup next Thursday night. Right. I think time time frame wise, that's just, I don't, I don't like that part of college football. (laughs) I don't either. And I mean, even further, like I know that us as Tennessee fans are kind of always finding something to complain about, but this isn't the first time. I mean, we had Cade Mays, we had Euros. I mean, we had all these other players that while everyone else was getting deemed eligible, we're just stuck in the mud and can't ever make any headway. So I feel like it's right for people to get upset about things like this whenever this person's held to this standard, but then we're held to this standard and we still can't get anything done. It's like it just needs to be a uniform system so that everyone can figure out when they play, how they play, and what needs to be done. But with all the chaos like you were just describing, it's going to take a lot to make it that way. You know, I I look at it and I've seen this, and it's not just because – I'm on here on a Tennessee show and we're talking about this. I've seen this a lot with Tennessee when it comes to transfers that I don't see a lot. And I'm not saying that all well, Tennessee's out here and everybody's out to get them. No, it's just, it's weird because, you know, there was also Aubrey Solomon um, mm. in that situation, you know, Euros, Euros was a little bit different because I don't think people, understood or quite knew the whole backstory to that, that he had a guy that was handling him that got fired from Arizona State. And let's just say Tennessee's compliance in the NCAA maybe wasn't fully involved with this guy, liking his background. Um, So that one was a little bit complicated. But I, I look at this one and I just think, I just think that USC and the fact that, and if you go, again, I urge people to go read that document because if you read that document, you'll kind of understand where USC is coming from. But here's what I, here's what I was told. I was told this by folks um, around the Southeastern conference at four different schools. And I talked to compliance people because I wanted to feel them out. I wanted to know what they, the biggest thing that they told me is that the reason why we don't pitch a fit and all of these when it comes to that document is because we don't want the publicity that comes with it if we don't sign it. So like it was, it was, it was pointed out to me. I mean, 
I had somebody, I had somebody at Auburn reference Tennessee by saying, do you realize how many of those documents that Tennessee might have had to sign after Jeremy Pruitt left? And thinking about, okay, you know, there are, it's different because of the one-time transfer rule, and I, I get that part of it. But with everything going on in the NCAA cloud, think about that document and the players involved with the NCAA investigation, and then look at those clauses where it said, did this kid leave on good terms? Was he in any kind of trouble? I'm paraphrasing. Any kind of trouble with the school while he was here? But not. If Tennessee wanted to, they could have caused a lot of problems with about six players that transferred out of Tennessee's program, and they didn't because they didn't want the backlash. They didn't want the bad publicity. And, and that's why that person told me that that's why we sign these. That's why we, we get these and, and get it going, because we don't want something to play out like what you saw this weekend where USC had to put on their official Twitter account a statement that they had given me 24 hours earlier. So it, it all comes down to publicity and making yourself look good sometimes. Yeah. Trey, I think it's I think it's funny you mentioned those, you know, three players or six players, because I think three of them kind of went to the coach that's now, you know, at the school responsible for all of this, quote unquote, just my allegations. I don't know if it's true or not. Me taking a lucky guess. But I think it's crazy how uh, it's kind of hard not to point the fingers kind of at, you know, USC and this one, you know, all the SEC teams you talked to, they kind of all signed it off, said they, you know, don't want the publicity of dealing with it. The NCAA fully able to cooperate. And then you look at USC. And, you know, now that you point that out and I think about that aspect of it, about how Tennessee didn't do anything to that place. And then that guy goes there. And now this school that never gave us problems with Bayless Jones, Caleb Tremblay, you know, Chase McGrath, you know, it's not like it's been a bad thing for players to go from USC to Tennessee. And like we just had a guy come from West Virginia that played in, you know, spring practice there and he was full eligible the first day he walked on campus here. So, you know, a guy that's, you know, proven innocent. And, you know, yeah, he's had his fair shares of bouncing at school, but, you know, didn't play last year because of everything that happened. I just don't see any crazy reason why he shouldn't have already been eligible. And I thought it was crazy, not only that, but laughable, that they pretty much sent you the same statement they ended up posting themselves because they couldn't take yeah. the backlash. And when you look at their social media on Instagram, Twitter, everything, they're hiding replies. Every single comment is people following, saying free brew, where their own players or like their own recruits now are something like, I've heard kind of question everything, wondering what's happened. And I think that, you know, USC probably didn't realize and get their fair taste of what Ball Twitter and Ball Nation could kind of do, because now it's not even that. Like, they're going to recruits and, you know, future players and coaches and everyone else, like, not just their AD. But I, I just don't see a reason why he shouldn't be. I'll, I'll say it this way. Okay. First off, Lincoln Riley, nothing to do with the situation right now. Really? Absolutely nothing to do with – Look, would Lincoln Riley like to have had Blue McCoy back? Yeah, absolutely. But there's some things out of his control, okay? Um, so I'll go back to the, the point I made earlier where those clauses in that, that form and the fact that USC doesn't want to sign it because maybe they're hesitant about certain things in there. Okay, that's fine. But then you look at, again, let's just take a look at Tennessee. 
where they were under NCAA investigation and you had numerous players that were questioned under that NCAA investigation. A few players that had to sit out the last game of Tennessee's season or the week before, I forgot it all tangles up into one now, because of the NCAA investigation. But then gets to go transfer and play immediately at another school, and there's not this huge uproar, or there's not a problem with eligibility, or there's not a problem getting them on the field. My biggest quirk about any player at any school that we are up against this timeline of, and I promise you, there is more than one player going through this situation now around college football. It's just not out in the open as Brew McCoy. But I promise you, there's a few other players out there that are dealing with the same thing, waiting on the NCAA to say, hey, you're eligible to play this season or in that first game. I think it's, it's not USC's fault that it's a double standard, but if you look at it from a college football aspect, that's where the problem kind of lies in is that, okay, you know, if, if, you know, I'll just, we'll just use Tennessee as an example because whatever, or, you know, we can use uh, LSU as an example of their basketball program. But look at all the players that, that transferred out under Will Wade. And I can tell you that a couple of those players were, were interviewed in regards to the stuff went on in the early years of Wade at LSU. But those players got to end up somewhere else and play um, and, and not have to get drug out in the media or whatnot. And the biggest thing, too, is, you know, if you don't, here's, kind of, you know, Josh Heifel made that statement, was it last Friday, that said, we've done everything we can. And he meant it. They've done everything they can. My biggest thing is if they, if he's not, eligible let's just say by Monday he's not eligible by Monday I'm very interested in what Josh Heifel says at his game week press conference in terms of potentially calling out the NCAA when it comes to to Brew McCoy's eligibility because sometime or another if this thing drags on which I don't think it will but if it drags on past Monday getting into Tuesday Wednesday Tennessee has to say something. They can no longer just be like, okay, we're going to play coy. We're going to say a few things. And I know they're doing it for the right reasons because they don't want to stir up shit. Excuse my language. They just don't want to stir up anything. So, but if you get to that point, then you have to say something publicly. And uh, you don't have to be mean about it, whatever, but you have to, you have to put your foot down and draw the line in the sand, which Tennessee is has done that quietly behind the scenes, but I'm very interested to see if they ever do it publicly. So but hopefully, you know, just for the love of college, college football and, and for all these players involved and whatnot and, and other players around the country, I hope it doesn't come to that. Um, because, you know, if, if they're eligible to play, they're eligible to get into a school, I think they should be able to, to step on the field. So we'll see. It's a long drawn out process and it didn't have to get this far. But we're sitting here on August 24th and, you know, again, trying to figure out a situation with a player. I really did want to make a comment real quick, and then I'll let Drew kind of get to his piece. But like you said, um, 
this is the first time in so many years that I feel like I can trust that the administration at Tennessee is actually doing the right thing in terms of <laughs> like not being wide open or making statements too early. I feel like that probably is a good sign. Um, and I, I just feel like I can trust them with making the right decisions. So I hope you're right that it doesn't have to get to that point because it would look better overall if it just gets resolved and we just look like the patient ones who waited it out with the good admin, you know. Um, but I do agree that if it gets way too close to kickoff, they absolutely have to say something. Just kind of, I know you said shit, but it doesn't matter what you say on here because we are unfiltered. But I mean, just grab them by the balls and take a stand at this point. Like if it gets to that point, you know. Um, but yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, you would see. I mean, I, 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 I promise you. If this was going on in Alabama, Nick Saban would be up at that podium, and he would, he would, he would call out, you know, the people that need to be called out. He wouldn't, you know, he wouldn't go after a specific school, in my opinion. Saban's not going to do that. As as much as people dislike Saban, he 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 really knows how to handle the media and the and, and his words. Uh, besides the Jimbo comments. Um, but I, I think there is, you know, a line that Tennessee is drawing the line right now as we sit here on a Wednesday. Come Monday, they really don't want to have to put that first foot over the line. And I think that's the biggest thing. So, you know, it is what it is. Um, Tennessee's not alone in this, but it's a problem in the NCAA right now. The, the last thing USC wants is uh, Danny No-Nugs coming at them publicly, Trey. I think a live tweet from, you know, Danny White himself, you know, kind of saying free brew that would, you know, not only, you know, win over over in Ball Nation, but, you know, having to have our AD go at their AD to make a statement would be pretty bad. <laughs> what, you know, what, what you're going to see is you'll see like some players tweeting it or something like that. Probably, and then yeah. Danny White would be like, well, I agree with you, Josiah Jordan James, like you said about the Kentucky <laughs> Calipari stoops. Thing. Yeah. And uh, yeah. hey, and also, look, Danny White is, Danny White's a smart dude. Okay, he's on the phone. He understands it. He's letting compliance deal with it now, which he should. And when it comes to that time where your athletic director maybe has to step in and make a phone call or two and you know complain and argue and whatnot, then 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 he'll do it. But and that's the same at every university, you know, where it there's a process where okay, the people underneath you they take care of those. And if it gets to that point where, okay, this isn't working, we got to go a little harder, you know, it's kind of like Goodfellas, you know, at the end, you, know, you finally just kind of got to stick it to them. Mm-hmm. And uh, if that's the case, then then that's the case. But as we sit here right now, you know, I know people are like, we're seven days out, you know, we want to see if our star wide receiver, you know, along with Cedric Tillman is going to be available. And, um, and, and I think that, as somebody that covers the SEC in college football, like Tennessee fans, your point has been made regarding USC. Like that's what I'll that's what I kind of say. Like they they have they, trust me. There's a reason why that statement was put out there on Sunday, okay, uh, by USC, and um, you know it wasn't because old Trey Wallace from Outkick, you know, asked for a statement or put out a story. Um, it was because they were like. Damn, this is a lot of mentions and emails and voicemails. Like, okay, let's try to put this to bed. So, 
is what it is, right? Trey, just want to say first thing first, great to see you again. Thanks for joining us here. Greatly appreciate it, obviously. Um, you know, I find the whole entire thing a little bit ironic considering that, you know, the USC has reaped the benefits from this transfer portal over the last season. You know, going from a very mediocre football team to being a preseason top 10 team now. Um, but, you know, we've always seen, obviously seen this with Tennessee before with Cade Mays, but my biggest fear, though, is that it will wind up being like the Cade Mays situation where he's not eligible until the second week, you know, second game week of the season. And I know you said a little bit about it in your opening statements, but do you think that's a possibility, though, that, like, Tennessee and, you know, Alex Golish and Heupel have to start life without Brew McCoy being their plans? I, I mean, uh, if, if, we're, if we're sitting here tonight and he's not eligible, you know, um, and look, Tennessee is going to know more than they're giving out. So that's obvious. But we're sitting here on a Wednesday night and they're trying to gauge. Starting tomorrow, it's, it's Ball State preparation. You know, so you know, they're going to give Brew as, as many reps as they can, but – you also – this is the, the predicament. You've also got to get Walker Merrill as mm-hmm. many reps as you can. If he's going to be the guy lining up outside of Cedric on the other side and maybe Hyatt there in the slot or something along the – like you've got to get the guys ready to go and what that first string is going to look like. The, I think the good part about it is for like Hendon and Brew and these other players with Cedric and the other wide receivers is they've all worked together for a while. They did a lot of work over the summer. Like, they're in sync, you know what I mean? But I think when when you ask, you asked a question about you know, about Ball State, and I said I, – I mentioned this to somebody. I said, I said, okay, well, what if you don't have his eligibility by Ball State, but he's ready to go by Pittsburgh? And they were like, you know, yeah, okay, that would be that be that wouldn't be fine, but we could deal with that. But we want our guy to be able to get live reps in a game before they have to travel to Pittsburgh to play a very big matchup in you know maybe not nationally a big matchup, but it's a big matchup for Tennessee and Pittsburgh. You know, and you, you want your guy to be on the field with the starters and you want him to get those reps in the first half, because if you're Tennessee coaches, you want that darn thing to be done with, you know, early third quarter. It's a wrap. We can put in our second, third string. We can throw in some walk-ons walk in the fourth quarter. That's what you want. So would, would, you know, if you, if you ask Tennessee right now, would they say, okay, look, we're going to have this thing over with immediately, but he's got to sit out Ball State, but he can play Pittsburgh. And they knew they could get an answer on a Wednesday night at 8.50 Eastern time. They probably would say, yeah. I would imagine they would probably say, yeah, just to get it done with. You know what I mean? But, but Tennessee would rather the kid be able to play immediately. So, you know, it, it, it's a twofold kind of question. I, I can't give you like a straight answer on it, but I will say that, you know, if they had to go along the lines of the Cade Mays situation where he had to like sit out a game and then he could play, I don't think that's the end of the world. But I, I know the coaching staff would sure like to have one of their, you know, what they think could be a big contributor on the field for that first game. I got a quick question from uh, Twitter. Uh, I think it's pretty good because I don't know the answer to this. They said it's uh, Vol for life and death. Shout out to you. 
Um, what's the latest up to game time in which Brew would be able to play, like, I guess in context, how close to game time could it be that he would be deemed eligible, that he would be able to play, if that makes sense? 7.29 Eastern time with kickoff at 7.30. I mean, it, really? For real? I, I mean, it's like, Here's the thing. The NCAA is not going to call Tennessee, you know, an hour before kickoff and say, hey, you're eligible. They would already know if the kid or if they decided if he was eligible or not that day. Um, <laughs> it would be very NCAA for them to come out and say, you know, somebody is sitting in the locker room and Brew McCoy, you know, he's, he's dressed. We don't think he's going to play. And they get a phone call at 7 o'clock. Hey, man, you dude, you, you dude's good. He can go. And then all of a sudden, Brew McCoy's like, okay, I got to play. You know, and Tennessee has to change this up, what they do. Like, that would be so, so fitting. It wouldn't surprise me. What I'm getting at is that there, the, the hard – there is something you have to do on Tennessee's side once he's made eligible. You know, there – Small stuff, putting stuff in the computer, you know, active player on the roster type of deal and whatnot. Um, that could all be handled. I don't think you're going to, I don't think it's going to come. Here's the biggest thing if he's not eligible, I don't think it's going to come down that he is on like a Thursday afternoon at three or four o'clock. You know, I think if he's not eligible for the first game, you'll probably hear something on like that Saturday or that Monday saying he's eligible for the next week. So, yeah. Timeline-wise, it's kind of iffy. But, I mean, you know, give him a day's notice. He's, he'll be he'll be good to go ready to play. Makes sense for sure. Again, it just it's, it's just absolutely ridiculous that they have to be toyed like this. I mean, I, I read that they're expecting, you know, that he's going to be able to play. But, I mean, it kind of just throws a wrench in everything. And I know it's Ball State, but, you know, you're never supposed to overlook an opponent. And they're just toying with the whole offensive scheme, waiting this you long. Know, you know, I, I think I'm going to kind of leave it at this. I think that when you look at the NCAA as a whole and you look at USC now being more active, let's say, um, in the waiver process – like that was a big, that was a big step, and you know, yes, they've cut it pretty darn close, to be honest with you. Um, and that's why I don't, I don't like any of this. Like, rule a player ineligible or rule him eligible, you know. And 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 even if they got to like the third game of the season, and then all of a sudden they said, okay, you're eligible. Look, Tennessee would take that. They don't like that, but they would take that. Um, I just think overall we need as college football in the NCAA, I think we need a hard line time on when, okay, look, we have got to announce this player is eligible. We've done enough investigating due diligence on what's gone on because I promise you the NCAA knows about Bruce McCoy's time at USC. Okay. Like this is, it's not like they're going to get some labor and be like, Oh, who is this Brew McCoy guy? I've never heard of him before. Like, they know they, – they're not done. They have people – they have a lot of people working in different separate markets, you know, in regions that understands the players and what goes into this. And Tennessee being in communication with the NCAA, 
you know, and now USC helping out and whatnot, you know, it'll be beneficial. But I think in college football, once once we get even crazier with these transfers, which it's going to happen, we cannot let the young student athletes, I don't care what their past is. I don't care, you know, what they have perceived to have done, but it was never proven or they were never charged or if they left the, the previous school under interesting circumstances, by rule, if you're if you're eligible to play or you, you think that you're eligible to play or that school does, then it doesn't need to come down to the last minute. Because, look, and, and, you know, Tennessee wasn't stupid in this either. Like, they did their background work on Brew McCoy before he got to Tennessee. Like, mm-hmm. this wasn't like, okay, let's take a chance and just see what happens and waste the scholarship. No, they're, they're smarter than that. All college football teams are. They're not going to do something dumb like that and not think about it and, and look into it. Um, so, you know, it is what it is. The NCAA's flawed. they got a lot of things to work on. Um, but I think it would have been a lot easier if USC maybe helped out a little bit a month and a half ago compared to August 24th. So, you know, if you're a Tennessee fan, be happy that USC is helping now. But don't hold your breath on his eligibility because you never know when that's going to come down. It could come down in two hours. If it's really up to whatever they decide to do. So we'll see. That would be crazy in itself, like if that happened just now. But um, obviously you have the Monday timeline kind of thing, eight days away. If all does go wrong and USC doesn't help and the U- and the NCAA puts this thing aside and Tennessee has to go out there for Ball State and put someone else, you said the name Walker Merrill. I would have thought a guy like Ramel Keaton is it probably like kind of closer between those two guys kind of getting split reps or is like Walker Mill kind of really made that step. And if it does come down to it, we're say Tennessee is without Brew McCoy one or two games, even though there's no way in the world they should be, are we going to be have like a confident outside wide receiver on the other side of Tillman? Yeah. I mean, I threw out Merrill because in talking with some folks over at Tennessee, they, they said he's at a, a, a pretty damn strong fall camp. Um, you know, you, you have somebody reliable uh, like Ramel Keaton. Um, you, you can, you know, you can always switch things up too. I mean, you could, you know, if Tennessee wanted to, you throw Jalen Hyatt on the outside, you throw Cedric on the other side, you throw Jimmy Holiday or Walker Merrill into the slot, you know, and, and you kind of go from there and see where it plays out. I, I think Tennessee, you know, the, the, the interesting part about this is, is, you know, I, last year, Tennessee had, you know, Cedric, Javante, Valus, and you knew after that Florida game who you could rely on. And um, I think now it's it's interesting because you have to think you're going to have to figure out who's going to be your guy. You know, we Jalen Hyatt, we've seen flashes from that kid. Like he's got talent, and he's really, you know, in talking with folks over the last six months, the kid has a new mentality of life when it comes to football. Um, and, he, and he's shown that. Um, I think Walker Merrill is somebody that they finally figured out him himself, but also the staff has figured out, okay, we can, we can use this guy. Like he can be a weapon, you know, for us. Um, but then you have guys, you know, uh, like Ramel Keaton. You, you've, you've got guys like, 
you know, the Jimmys. You know, I will say Jimmy Holiday has is, is kind of been more um, – what's the best word for it? I mean, consistent, I guess, is the best word for it over Callaway. But the biggest thing is, like, you do have some options. But I think, you know, the, one of the main things Tennessee cannot do this year that they did last year is – and I've talked about this a lot – is they can't hold tryouts for the first three weeks of the season at that position. That's the biggest thing to me when it comes to Tennessee um, because it bit them last year. You know, and I, and I know Joe Milton and I get all the complaints about the quarterback spot and whatnot, but they didn't have guys, you know, they, they were rotating too many guys in at wide receiver. Nobody could get in the, in the rhythm, in, in the zone. And that's why, you know, after that Florida game, when Golish and Heifel, you know, come up to Bayless and they come up to Cedric and Javante and say, hey, look, y'all three are in. You guys, we, we have figured out you guys are going to lead us. You're going to be in our first rotation. We're going to run you to your legs fall. And then, you know, you kind of go to that, that 2D and then you figure out who you can throw in there in that third section. I, I think that Tennessee is going to be okay when it comes to wide receiver, but that's why that Ball State game is so important um, because you've got to figure out what that rotation is going to look like. And there's no better way to do that than a live game action in front of, you know, Probably ninety thousand people there on that Thursday night, something like that. And then you got to go on the road to Pittsburgh that next week, and you know, I, I just think, you know, to me, and this is just my personal opinion, and I don't know how crazy it's going to sound to some people, but to me, Pittsburgh is the biggest game of the season for Tennessee, and I say that for one reason: you go to Pittsburgh, and if you lose that game. You're sucking the life out of what you would have coming back home and playing Joe Moorhead and Akron. Okay. Nobody cares. And then you've got to, you'd be two and one, and then you're hosting Florida. You know, and I'm just, there should be bigger expectations for Tennessee this season, even with Pittsburgh returning. But Pittsburgh's going to be a, a, a good football team this year. Um, I like Slovis as their quarterback. They've got a good defensive line, their offensive line is strong. Okay. But I feel like that sets up the rest of the season. Because if you can go up there and you can have all the hype with him and Hooker and what they've got at running back and Cedric Tillman, and, you know, I know the defense is going to take some time. But to me, it's all about setting up the month of September. And if there's a way Tennessee can come out of the month of September 4-0, and it's going to be a crazy October. And I think that's why, you know, you don't want – the life sucked out of your fan environment and, and expectations for the year by going up there and losing to Pittsburgh the second week of the season. And even though they're a formidable opponent and they're going to be, in my opinion, pretty good, I think Tennessee's better. So you go up there, you handle business. And that's why I think it's so important to have some of these players ready to go immediately is because that game is so big um, from a national standpoint. Because you know what's going to happen. If Tennessee drops that game to Pittsburgh, People are going to be like, okay, there's a reason why we put them there. It's going to take more time to turn this thing around. It's going to, you just go up there, handle business, and you set yourself up for a pretty crazy environment um, that, that, um, that fourth week with, with Florida coming in, and, and God knows what happens, and it'll be crazy as hell, and we'll just see. But, uh, but that's why I've always uh, – I said it last year. Drew remembers that I said it last year. I said Pittsburgh mm-hmm. was the biggest game, and it turned out to be the biggest – because Tennessee found a quarterback out of it. Yeah. Um, but I just – I look at it overall, and I just – that's kind of where I stand right now on it. So we'll, we're going to find out real soon. 
I'm glad, Trey, that you're, you know, in reality of me, because there's a couple individuals on the show last Friday that were trying to tell people at the bar that we're in this game by two touchdowns. You know, this is a very good football team, and like you said, it's like what I mentioned to them. We haven't won a Power 5 conference road game since UCLA in 97, which is before I was alive. Terrifying to think. But, I mean, it's not like you're going into some crazy – home environment at Pittsburgh. I mean, you're going to play at Heinz Field. You're, you know, you're, you're going to play in front of a good crowd. There's going to be a lot of Tennessee fans that make that trip because it's one of those bucket list type of trips. Um, you know, but to me personally, you know, looking at Pittsburgh's roster and watching them a good amount last season because they were good. And I liked watching Kenny Pickett play. And I liked watching Jordan Addison play. They returned their offensive line. Uh, their defensive line, you've got linebackers. All I'm saying is is that you know, don't go up there and you, you, you think what you want to think. But in my opinion, don't go up there with the, the thinking that, all right, this is the easy win. We're going to come out of here. They don't have Kenny Pickett, and we're going to win by 21 points. Pittsburgh's going to put up a fight. It's going to be an interesting game, um, and we'll see how good Tennessee's defense is. Like that, That's where the balls are going to get tested real early. We're going to we're going to see what that defensive line looks like and how many guys they can rotate in off of. And what's your, you know, what does Jeremy Banks and Juwan Mitchell look like at linebacker? You know, and then, you know, how does Aaron Beasley fit in there when you have to slip him in? So we'll see. I know maybe not a lot of people agree with that, but, you know, I think come, you know, the second week of the season and we get to the third quarter and it's a tight game, I think people understand that. Pittsburgh is a pretty decent team, and um, but at the end, I, I think Tennessee wins that game. They beat Akron, sets up a big game against Florida. Um, I think Florida comes into that game. It, that Utah game they open up with, with Florida, and I know we're getting off subject here in a minute, and i got to get back to writing, but I'll say this. Florida opens up with Utah, and then they have to play Kentucky. So it could be a damage. It could be a damage Gators team when they come to Knoxville, or Anthony Richardson could play out of his freaking mind against Utah, and then Kentucky has to roll into Gainesville without Chris Rodriguez, and have to rely on Will Levis. Well, Florida could be two and one coming into to Knoxville. So it's going to be a crazy month of September. I'm excited for the SEC. Um, excited to see what Hendon Hooker is going to do. So many great games in the month of September, and um, and I'm just I'm ready for college football. I'm ready to stay up at 10:30 at night to watch Vanderbilt play at a 9,000 seat stadium in Hawaii. So, and, and by the way, yeah. give me Charlotte versus like FAU Saturday nice. afternoon. Just inject it into my veins, guys. We're finally here. Yeah, I love it. Um, I wanted to know kind of your take on that Vanderbilt-Hawaii game. I, I took – I have a feeling about it. I took a couple parlays in week zero, so I'm curious if you have any feelings on week zero. I think Mark Wright is going to be very interesting to watch a quarterback for Vanderbilt. Um, uh, this is a guy that's not very accurate, 25 yards or further with the football. Um, but – he is a weapon with his feet. And, um, you know, I, you know, Vanderbilt should go beat Hawaii. This is an Hawaii team with the roster turnover from last year compared to this year. 
It's pretty crazy. If you haven't seen it, you know, you're bored, go look at it. Um, but, I, I, you know, it just – we've we've seen games out of Vanderbilt. And this is not a knock to Vanderbilt because I like Clark Lee. I think Clark Lee is a hell of a football coach. I really do. But we have seen times where Vanderbilt has dropped early games in the season, whether it be to ETSU, whether it be to Temple. You know, we, we've seen these games before, and something just kind of trips me out about Vanderbilt going to Hawaii – and playing a football game and playing Hawaii because you know they're just going to pass the ball around. I want to see what Vanderbilt's defense looks like. Like, I know a lot of people will say, well, it's Vanderbilt and you know, their, their season's not going to be any good and they're not going to win over two games. Like, the over under for Vanderbilt, it's two and a half games. Like, I, I think Vanderbilt wins three games this year. Okay. Um, but you look at this first game, it's not going to be really like a I mean, it could be like a test for Vanderbilt, what they look like the rest of the season. But in my opinion, they should go to Hawaii and they should go win. But you just never know when it comes to Vanderbilt's defense um, and what they're going to get out of Mike Ryder quarterback. And then, you know, that that other game in Dublin, Ireland, which is freaking awesome. And I can't wait to, to see what that looks like. You know, Nebraska, Northwestern. I wrote about that today. Like Scott Frost, his – his plane seat was was fire ass hot when he got on the plane and went to double. So he's running into a problem right now. You go over there and you lose to Northwestern first game of the year, and then you got to travel all the way back to Lincoln, Nebraska with that loss. It just sets up the potential for a rough year. And, you know, like I wrote today, six and six. I'm sorry, that's not Nebraska football. Like you can't be, you can't get complacent. Once you get complacent in college football, things start going downhill. It's really simple. It's about six miles away from where I live at right now, and that's University of Tennessee. You can't get complacent with things. And um, if Nebraska, you know, comes out of the month of September looking rough, you know, they're going to have to. They're probably going to have to say goodbye to their, you know, their. their long forsaken national championship winning quarterback and but that's the way of college football so you know I think those two games I think Nebraska should win um, I think Vanderbilt should win but if you really want to get crazy throw a little parlay down on uh, on Northwestern throw a little parlay down on Charlotte and end the night with Hawaii and see if you wake up Sunday morning with a lot more money in your bank account I like it um I went a little bit more conservative. I threw down a two-leg parlay at plus 725 with Nebraska at winning 1-13, to and I took Hawaii money on. I mean, that's not – I mean, that's – I mean, the line, the Vanderbilt-Hawaii line started at – I was talking to our outkick bets guy, the way, Jeff Clark, and uh, Vanderbilt started at minus 2.5, and, and now I think they're up to minus 8, if I'm not mistaken. So, like – you know, uh, it's not like eight yeah, I mean, it's not it's not like this game started off with a crazy line. You know what I mean? Like so pretty much what they're I mean they're I don't want to call it they're calling a pick'em in Hawaii, but you know, it's damn near close to it. So I just you know, I think you did good with your betting there. If you want to get a little crazy, just you know, put five dollars in whatever betting tool that you use and just put them all on the underdogs and see how you look Sunday morning. So that's how I do it. Every UFC fight that comes on, 
Like, I don't care. Like, I'm, I'm putting $5 in my FanDuel account, and then I'm betting on every underdog, and I'm hopefully going to wake up the next morning as a winner. I came one fight short of that last weekend, and I was, you know, I'd probably gone to Vegas or something like that, but it kind of ruined my night, you know, the end. It wasn't the main event trade? No, it wasn't the main event. It was uh, the, the second fight on the card. I forgot the darn guy's name. So I did too. Yeah, Crazy. so, no. But um, but the fact that we can – look, the fact that we can talk about this, the fact that we can get excited about it, and we don't have to worry about preseason in the NFL and we're having conversations like that, you know, it, it's the love of college football. It's the fact that we're here. We've got so many great games uh, in the month of September that I'm excited about. Can't wait to, to cover them all. Can't wait to be in, I'm be in Knoxville for the Thursday night game right down the road from my house. And then we'll scoop down to Atlanta to cover Oregon, uh, Georgia uh, on that Saturday. And uh, then it's off to Austin, Texas that next weekend for Alabama, uh, Texas. And then we'll have somebody for Tennessee, Pittsburgh. So we're rolling along. I'm, I'm excited. I appreciate you guys having me on tonight. Um, oh, you guys really, uh, really kick ass and uh, love what you guys do with coverage of Tennessee and, and keep it up. Thank you so much. Thank you, Trey. I honestly, it was such a pleasant surprise to have you on. Like, honestly, such an honor. I'm just like looking at the group chat and it's like, hey, Trey can come on. I was like, no freaking way. That's so dope. Um, so thank you so much for taking your time and giving our viewers some awesome content. And I'm just really excited. Excited for the season. Greatly appreciate. Hey, look, I would I would not be here uh, without folks like y'all and, and what y'all do uh, when it comes to, to talking about Tennessee and getting the word out there and talking about college football. Um, I wouldn't be where I'm at with you know with, with, without people that follow me for my work and my interactions with them. And you know, it's it's never about you know what you do for a living or who you do it for. Um, it's all about just having the passion for what you do and wanting to talk about it. I think that's the biggest thing. And uh, you guys do a great job at it. And I'm just appreciative that y'all would have me on. And um, I know we'll be talking again soon. Absolutely. Brando, Drew, y'all have anything to say? Brando, you go ahead, Frank. That's all I said. Is it was just a pleasure. You know, obviously, eight days away, Trey, you know, Obviously, after after this show, I'm going to have to talk to you about what I'm watching right now on the television. But um, other than that, eight days away, hopefully a kick-ass season for Tennessee, and just get the you know the lineup figured out early, and let's go let's go have a good season. You know, it has to you know be consistent. Let's be consistent. Let's you know put something special out there for the future of Tennessee. So, all in all, appreciate you, man. Uh, a dream having you on our show. So, hopefully, we can do it again sometime during the season. Thank you for not ruining what you're watching right now because I currently have it on pause. You know, uh, the, girl, the girlfriend's in, in the back room watching whatever she wants to watch. I've got some other stuff going on while I'm working. And uh, once Drew shot me a message and said, hey, man, you want to pop on? Absolutely. Anything for you guys. So, you know, always hey, appreciate man. it. Drew, you know that. Brando, low. Uh, hey, brother, thank you very much. And one other quick question for you. Non-Vols, but what you got? Daytona, Saturday night. How are we feeling about Bubba Wall's chances? Oh, Schnelly. Uh, <laughs> I feel like he is going to have a fast car like he's had over the last two months. Um, you're going if – you're, if you're not a NASCAR fan, and I know a lot of people aren't, and that's okay. Once you are scrolling through Twitter on Saturday night around, around kickoff of the Vanderbilt-Hawaii game, 
I urge you to turn it on the USA Network because you're probably going to watch the last 30 laps, I would imagine, Drew. And you're going to see some of the craziest stuff you've ever seen when it comes to stock car racing and driving because pretty much this is like the last big one before the playoffs. Like this is a super speedway. So anybody can win. That's what makes it fun. Hopefully the 23 car gets in the victory lane. Um, If he doesn't, whatever it is, what it is, but, um, but he'll have a fire looking car uh, Saturday night. And then uh, if I'm not mistaken, he will be in Knoxville on Thursday night. So it'll be fun. Word. That's awesome. I love it. I'll make sure to try and tune into that as well. That sounds awesome. Um, I guess we're we're done for the evening. I know you don't need a closeout, but Trey Wallace for OutKick, Fox Senior SEC Reporter. Uh, thank you for joining us. And, of course, Alex was gone this week. I'm sure he's going to be pissed when he finds out that Trey was on here. Uh, <laughs> I'll make it up to him. That's all, all right. good. I'll come back. We're all good. All right. That's perfect. Uh, so, until next time, we're done here. Good night. Go Vols. Go Vols.